So I'm excited because we're starting a series today on the book of Acts. This is, yeah, absolutely appropriate woo there, yes. <laughs> it is an incredible book of the birthing of the church. And um, today is really going to be an introduction, setting the scene. We're, we're going to do six weeks on six Ps because every good preacher knows that if you're going to do a sermon series, you better have some alliteration or whatever the word is for that. Is that the right word? I don't know. Some Thank you, clever people nodding at me. Yes, some alliteration really enforces the power of God if you use the same letter for everything. So we will have six Ps and today's P is promise. And um, we're going to look at Acts chapter one together. And I I'm just going to do a talk through of the first half of this chapter and just pull out treasure within. And um, this, this isn't going to be the most um, neat and tidy sermon you've ever heard in your life, but I believe that there is treasure in this book treasure that God wants to bring revelation to us from to change our lives. Just to, to set the scene for the book of Acts, the book of Acts is written by Luke, who was a doctor, very detail-orientated, which is really helpful because he was interested in providing as much evidence for his claims as possible in his books. And he wrote two, bo two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. And they're really a two-part series. These books should be read in tandem. And often we, uh, we kind of... Um, approach the Bible sometimes too clinically, um, forgetting that real people sat and wrote these books with a purpose inspired by the Spirit of God. And so I want to encourage you in your individual Bible reading. First of all, if you don't read the Bible at home, I want to ask you why, because I'm assuming you eat more than once a week. So um, in the same way as <laughs> you're laughing at me, some of you are like, wait, what did she say? What does that mean? Um, in the same way that you don't eat one meal on a Sunday and then that sustain you through the week, or at least I hope not. If that's what you're doing as a medical doctor, I just want to say to you that that's not healthy for your body and we can talk later about that. Uh, but in the same way, the Bible is a feast for us. It is food for us. And I want to encourage you on a daily basis, don't starve your spirit, but read words of life that will nourish you. So in your individual Bible reading that I'm just going to assume is the case for all of us, if you don't know what to read at the moment, I want to encourage you read Luke and Acts. We're going to spend about six weeks over um, uh, in this book, and it's going to be so amazing if as we're doing that, you're also reading Luke and Acts and pulling out treasure there. The reason I like to read them in tandem, one, they were intended to be read together, and two, you start seeing patterns and overlap in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts that are incredibly intentional, that Luke put them in there inspired by the Spirit because he's drawing a consistent parallel between the life of Jesus as he walks on the earth and the life of Jesus as he empowers his church. It's actually two parts of the same story being told and you miss that if you approach them as completely different works. They're not. They're a two-part volume and we're part of the second volume. Anyway, we'll get that. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's just read together. I'm going to read the first 11 verses and then we'll go back and we'll pick through them. In the first book, in the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, which means friend of God, I have dealt with all that Jesus 
began to do and teach, began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying, or a better translation would be eating with them, I like that. I like that the Bible happens in everyday spaces while they're eating meals together. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These verses are laden with promise. There's promise thread all throughout, promise of the Father, the promise of the power of the Spirit, the promise that they will be his witnesses, uh, a word of identity and of purpose, the promise that Jesus will come back in the same way that he's gone. The whole introductory setting of Acts is uh, a glow with the promise of God to his people. I want us to notice that um, sometimes people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, which just to say that's actually not accurate to the original of the Apostles was added later on. It isn't what was written. And it's important for us to know that because the primary point of the book of Acts isn't what the Apostles did, is what Jesus did through the apostles. And if we understand that, when then we stop with kind of nonsense conversations of whether these things were only for then and not for now. Because if we understand the book of Acts through the lens of what Jesus does, then there'll be no question as to whether it's irrelevant now, because unless he's had some kind of personality transplant since then, we can understand that Jesus continues to do what he did as we see the same in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is acting true to his nature today as he was in Luke, as he was in Acts. And so it's important for us to change our perspective on the book because this isn't about uh, 11 and then, well, the 12th was joined and then obviously Paul. So let's say 13 heroes doing something heroic. This is about one God empowering his people and setting a precedent for what the church is therefore nothing has changed you and I are still in the book of Acts why because it's not Acts of the Apostle it's Acts of Jesus and last time I've checked Jesus is still performing Acts makes sense so so Luke comes and says in the first book I've dealt with all that Jesus began 
to do and teach. Luke isn't the complete story of the life of Jesus. It's the introductory story. It's a glimpse into who God is and how he behaves. And now we're going to continue with what Jesus began to do. We're going to keep reading in Acts what he continues to do uh, because that's his purpose with us to continue through his church. And then he says, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. This is a different kind of sermon today. I hope you guys are okay with this. But we're going to study this together. Get your pens out. Get your Bibles out. Let's do some, some study together. Oh, the Bible is so rich. I, I, want, I hope that this community will be one that is alive to the richness of Scripture. We're so used to inspirational, motivational sermons with my three, with my six Ps. <laughs> but we are, and th there's nothing wrong with that. But there is wealth here that we're going to study together. And I really do believe that God wants to stretch our capacity to keep up with Scripture, to eat rich food. You've got to train your body with richness. We're about to do that together. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them. The whole basis of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is that Jesus, uh, there is a physicality to God. There is a historicity to God, that God isn't some kind of ethereal being that we kind of have some... Um, supernatural experiences of that can't be verified and can't when we talk about an invisible God sometimes we can fall into almost a new age uh, spirituality where you can't really verify and you can't really see and you can't really know and it's all in this kind of ooey gooey realm that no one else can experience that's not what the Bible tells us about who God is the Bible is consistently drawing us to understand that that whilst God, yes, is bigger and it cannot be seen with human eyes in some ways, but he appeared in history and he died in history and he rose again in history and he proved himself risen God in history so that it's not some kind of ooey gooey out there reality that no one can verify, but something that is historically verifiable. Luke does his very best to constantly draw in historical facts so that his readers of the day could go and verify whether what he said really happened. It's important that we get this because in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of moments that make no sense, an ooey gooey out there reality isn't going to sustain us. My faith is able to withstand the craziness of life because in the moments where I come to question, I go back to not only is he ooey gooey out there and I felt goosebumps one time and that felt good and therefore God might be real. But the more I study history, the more I look at not only Christian resources, but extra biblical scholars, there is no question that a historical man named Jesus existed. There is no question that a historical man named Jesus taught, did miracles that were unexplainable, that he had these disciples, that he 
died, that his disciples went to the grave claiming that he had risen. And not only those 12 disciples, but hundreds of witnesses. So extra biblical uh, uh, scholars actually record that all of this stuff happened and his disciples claimed to have seen him. That's important. I want to recommend to you, if your experience of Christianity is, is in the kind of cloud somewhere, I want to recommend to you read more, study more. It will pour strength into your faith because you'll understand that this isn't just something that you got to cross your fingers and hope is true, but it's something that the more you study, the more there is proof and weighty evidence for the thing you've given your life for. That's really important. This was never intended to be a faith that you just feel. This is a faith that is verifiable the more you study. That's why as a scientist, I actually laugh when people say, I can't believe in God because I believe in science. That's laughable. Science points to the existence of God. (laughs) People are like, really? Yes, it does. Anyway. Okay, I'm going off base. That's not where I want to go right now. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while eating with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is going to be the crux of where we're going today, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait for the promise of the Father. Let's just talk about waiting for a second. Waiting is something that God will invite us into repeatedly in our walk with Jesus. That's just the way it goes. If you haven't had a season of waiting for a promise, um, God bless you. There's one to come. I'm sure you will have a season of waiting. And I want to say something about waiting. Waiting never feels fun in the moment. And I feel like one of the things that God wants to do for us today is to give us a vision of waiting. Is to give us a biblical understanding of the purpose of waiting. Because in the season of waiting... Often what happens on human terms is that we grow weary, our energy goes down, we get more and more disappointed and offended, right? Anyone who's waited, you'll know this to be the case. The enemy starts whispering to you, is this really going to happen? Did God really promise? Does he really see you? Does he really care? All of those things. So the season of waiting, often as Christians, we dread. We're like, I don't want to go into a season of waiting. That doesn't sound fun at all. I want the promise and I want the fulfillment. Why do we have to have the waiting? And in some ways, I don't know why we have to have the waiting, but I do know that the Bible contains some pointers of the purpose for waiting. You know, in Isaiah, it says those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So a biblical vision of waiting is as you wait, strength goes up, not down. We can stay on that one word all morning. If you're in a season of waiting, I want to encourage you, connect with the heart of God as to his purpose. 
because everything the enemy will want to do in that season is take away your strength. But the biblical promise is that there is purpose in the waiting and one of the purposes is an increase in strength, not a decrease. So in the season when I'm waiting, I don't need to just sit back, twiddle my thumbs and complain about it and say, why has he done this to me? I can understand, wait, God is increasing my strength as I wait. There are some promises that I've been waiting for decades for. Some of you are like, wow, decades, how old is she? Yes, I look very youthful. But there are some promises that I've been waiting over 30 years for. And as I've been waiting for those promises, the enemy will say to me, oh, it's because he's forgotten you. The enemy will say to me, oh, look at you. Your arms are so tired. You need to sit down. You're growing weak. And yet the Bible is telling me There is increase in muscle mass happening right now, Katya. Keep the waiting. Keep a posture of waiting because there is strength rising up in you. That is the purpose of God in your waiting. I want to tell you, church, some of you feel like you are in a storm of waiting and you're just pleading for the wait to be over. And it's not bad to plead that, but I want you to get a vision of the waiting. And one of it is you're getting muscle. That's what's happening in your waiting. He's saying, I am increasing your strength. And if you don't feel that, that's okay. But connect with the heart of God. Invite him to give you vision for the purpose of the season. The other verse that came to mind when I was thinking about waiting, we're going to get to the promise of the Father in a second. But the other verse that came to mind about waiting is um, Psalm 23. When he, David's talking about walking through the valley of death. That, that kind of is sometimes what waiting feels like to be honest feels like you're in a grave somewhere a tomb that even God can't see anymore and he's walking through that valley and rather than speed him up through the valley what does God do he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies that means in the midst of something that you want to speed up in the midst of a waiting moment in the midst of something where you're waiting to get to the other side. God doesn't say, okay, let's pick up pace. Let's run. He says, let's, let's pause here for a moment. Seems like a really good time for a picnic. (laughs) How many of you feel encouraged this morning by God pausing your waiting even further than what you would like it to be? But the intention is what? Feasting. The intention of the slowing down pace isn't I want to depress you, is I want to feed you. I want to teach you how to feast in the presence of your enemies. See, logically, human speaking, we're thinking presence of enemies, it's time to run. Biblical perspective is presence of enemy, it's time to eat. (laughs) He's giving us a different perspective on the waiting. It's important to see this whenever you see in scripture a command for them to wait, an instruction to wait that God is giving them. You know what it's attached to? It's attached to a promise. It's attached to a good outcome, to a breakthrough. It's not like just do this because I don't care or I'm busy with something else. Just wait for a second. There is an intention of muscle and feasting in the waiting, and it's always attached to a promise at the end. Get a biblical perspective for your waiting. He's increasing strength in you, not wanting to take it away. 
And he says, wait, because he could have done it. He could have said to them right there, oh, it's good that we're all gathered together. Spirit, come. Brilliant. Okay, we're done. Off you go, witnesses. But there's intention. There's muscle that's growing in them. There's strength that's rising in them. There's feasting that they're learning as they get together. It made no sense for this group of disciples to gather in Jerusalem where the authorities were actually against them and were trying to stamp out any leftover experience of Jesus, that rebel. It made no sense for them to stay in Jerusalem. And yet he says, wait, increase strength. You're going to learn to feast in the presence of your enemies. And yes, there is a promise attached. The promise of the Father. He's referring to the gift of the Spirit to them. But I want us to notice the words of Jesus are incredibly intentional here. Because the promise of the Father allows us to see Holy Spirit not as an it or a force or primarily just a power that we receive, although he gives us power. But there's something of a family that we're being introduced to here in this moment. I want to say to you, the promise of the Spirit for us is your Father's promise to you because the Spirit is the Spirit of sonship. We're told this in Galatians. We're told this in Romans. He is the Spirit of adoption, which means when Holy Spirit is poured out, not only do you receive power, but you get an affirmation of your sonship and who your Father is. There's something very important in that, an integral in us experiencing the presence of the Spirit in our lives because often we're asking for Holy Spirit and what we mean is I need more power when I believe what God is more interested in, not just the power, but in us understanding our sonship and understanding who our Father is. There's something of being drawn into the family, which is what Holy Spirit does. And if we're not interested in that, we will miss one of the most important things that the Spirit does in our lives and we will constantly feel like we're proving ourselves through the outworking of power rather than understanding we belong and power is a secondary thing that overflows because we're part of the family. Does that make sense? So when he says the promise of the Father, he is rooting the gift of the Spirit, not primarily in the powerful force, but he's rooting the gift of the Spirit primarily in the experience of family. Wait for the promise of the Father. The last thing these disciples needed was to be launched out without their understanding of belonging in a family. They would have messed up so quickly. They would have got into performance so quickly. Why is it that these disciples who lived crazy lives didn't burn out and we have pastors left, right and center who are burning out? Why? I believe one of the reasons is because we are being deployed before we understand our belonging and family and we're trying to outwork power when we don't understand our adoption as sons and we're burning out because you have to understand the Father and who you are in relation to Him. If not, the power will burn you out. Why not deploy the disciples? They'd had three years one-on-one -on -one training with Jesus. Most church planters don't get that kind of training. But there's something that Jesus understands here, and I want us to get this, that what the world would classify as important is irrelevant when it comes to the methods of the kingdom. 
Jesus is not looking for a faster pace. He's not looking for increased productivity. He's not looking for more power from you. Go, 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 go. What he's saying is understand your place with the Father. Receive from the Father. Receive the spirit of sonship from the Father. Yes, the power of the Spirit. But I don't want you to do anything until that moment. This might be taking too long for you. That's okay. I understand that without this, you'll burn out. Disciples, ready to go. Launch me out, Jesus. No, 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 not now. You don't have what it takes right now. You don't have the shoulders for this journey right now. I want us to see this because I feel like consistently in the church, we are out of pace with God, looking to greater productivity rather than waiting on the power and the person of the spirit. And because we're doing that, we're not lasting the whole race. It's a huge explosion at the beginning. And then it just dies down. This, this moment is what we've got to wait for. And waiting feels uncomfortable for the church. It's awkward. Waiting is awkward because I can't make it happen faster. I've seen this in so many moments. I've been tempted for this in so many moments where you're praying for someone to be filled with the Spirit, to be baptized in the Spirit, and you're like, okay, we prayed for 30 seconds, nothing happened. Okay, don't worry, you, you, you got the Spirit, move on now. And, and we're launching people because we feel awkward, and I've got to say, we can't do that. We don't have that prerogative. And it's because encountering the person and the power of the Spirit is fundamental to everything else that happens. If these disciples could not do what they were called to do, having spent one on not one time with Jesus for three years, I want to tell you, you and I certainly can't. I listened to a sermon this week because um, preachers steal other preachers' sermons the whole time. So I'm like, okay, Googling, literally, Acts 1, let's see what someone else has preached on this. It's actually really funny what comes up, but anyway. I heard a message that actually really saddened my heart. And I felt like within five minutes, God was like, why are you listening to this? This has no power for what you need to bring on Sunday. And it started with saying, oh, you know, all you charismatic folk, um, you get so excited that we're doing a series on Acts because you think that the gifts of the Spirit are the main issue in Acts. I just want to say to you that the main issue in Acts isn't the Spirit, is mission. And then he went on and on and on about mission. And I just thought, no, we're missing something here. The, the main reality of the book of Acts is the person and the spirit empowering everything else. If we try to run with mission without the person of the spirit, we are in so much trouble because we will be building according to what we can build. But eternal significance is found in what we can't build but the spirit can i'm not interested in building this community 
through what I can build. You know what? My personality testing, my strengths finder, whatever it is, all of those things that people love, I'm pretty good. I can organize people. I can get people together. I'm pretty social. Uh, most of the time, I'm not too weird. I'm sure we could gra gather a crowd of about 120. That would be awesome. That's probably my, my max with what my gifting would allow. Great, successful church, thumbs up. What does that mean in eternity? It's the Spirit's power that's going to change everything from something that is temporal that I could build to something that has eternal value that only He could build. The problem is we're so focused on what we deem as success that we don't have time to wait for the Spirit because I've got to get on with what I've got to get on with. Don't do it. Wait. Now, you might not be a pastor. I'm assuming you're not because you're sitting here. If not... Go to your job, people. Your <laughs> church are waiting. But you're working and wherever you're working or studying, wherever you're studying, God has deployed you in those places. But what I want to say to you, the purposes of God for eternal value will only come about through your life as you wait for the promise of the Father. Because what you can build in success, in and of your own strength, beautiful as it might be, has no eternal value if it doesn't have the empowering presence of the Spirit of God. You've got to be empowered by the Spirit of God. I was thinking about this, where the angel comes to Mary and says, you will conceive by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. The thing is for Mary it was pretty obvious that her strength wasn't going to be enough. Like she couldn't in that moment go, ah, you know what? I'll take it or leave it, the power of the spirit bit. Because um, if I imagine it enough, or if I deploy my personality strengths enough, I will be able to conceive a child even though I am a virgin. <laughs> Good luck with that. The thing is, we laugh at that because it's ridiculous, but some of us feel like we can be witnesses without the power of God. It's equally as ridiculous. Because we feel like our strengths take us so far, we can kid ourselves into thinking this is what it was meant to look like when jesus said you will be my witnesses this is what he was talking about we have no idea unless you have been empowered by the spirit of god what you think it looks like is not what it was meant to look like at all i don't care if you build a church of five thousand. i don't care if you're seeing miracles jesus says there will be people who do miracles and yet when it comes to eternity he will say depart from me i never knew you how is that the case it's because sometimes we're able able to do things in our own strength outside of the family likeness of the promise of the father and we think that success is enough and he's saying that has zero eternal value i want us to think about this as we go through our week if mary couldn't conceive without the power of the spirit i cannot be a witness without the power of the spirit no matter what i can be tempted to think otherwise let that redefine what you're called for. Let that redefine why we need to wait. It would be ridiculous for Mary to start saying to people, I'm pregnant. I am pregnant. Not having experienced the spirit, but I'm pregnant. I'm going to run with this in my own strength. It would be ridiculous. 
I wonder how many of us are doing that. So he says, wait for the promise of the Father. He's had an intention in the waiting. The promise of the Father roots everything of the Spirit and the family likeness. He says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, in Acts 1, he uses the word baptize, which we'll talk about in a second. In Luke 24, which is the, the exact same story, but in the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, he uses the word, you will be clothed with the Spirit. Both words are incredibly important. The point is, the word baptism, some of you will have heard me say this before, but in the Greek, there are two words for kind of dipping or immersion. One is bapto, which isn't used here. One is baptizo, which is used here. The word bapto is a dipping. You kind of get in, you get out, you're good. The word baptizo is an overwhelming. It's an immersion to the point you, that you're overwhelmed. And the best way to understand the difference between bapto and baptizo is to look at an ancient pickling recipe. How many of you have heard me t say this before? Yeah, there's, a few, there's loads who haven't. Okay, this will transform your life. Someone did a meme about this the other week because I preached this somewhere else and it made me laugh so much. But anyway, in an ancient pickling recipe, it uses both words, bapto and baptizo. And it says the cucumber shall be bapto, shall be dipped in water. And then it shall be baptizo. It shall be immersed, it shall be overwhelmed in the vinegar. And what goes in a cucumber into the vinegar comes out a pickle. That's how you pickle. The point of the pickling recipe is that the baptizo totally changes the properties of that cucumber. So by immersion, by being overwhelmed, by being so marinated in the external liquid, it totally changes the properties and what goes in cucumber comes out pickle. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and me. He wants to baptizo you. He wants you not just to be dipped in and out. Good, I got a little five second moment with the Holy Spirit. I'm good to go no 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 he's saying no no no. what I want to do is overwhelm you with my presence so that you who come in a cucumber go out a pickle you get what we're talking about okay so that's the first word now you all know the pickling someone literally made like a pickle jar meme with come holy spirit and his face in it it was brilliant I loved it but the point is the words that are used about the holy spirit are used to make us understand that this isn't just as someone laid hands on me one day I felt goosebumps I'm good to go but it's a radical transformation of who we are because of the overwhelming presence of the spirit the word that's used in Luke 24 clothing is really important too because suddenly your visibility changes based on what has come over you my kids love to take a blanket and put it over themselves and then play a game of hide and seek um, because then you can't see them in their minds which is brilliant because obviously you can make them out perfectly but there is this reality of them being so overwhelmed with that clothing that they look different. They're recognizable, but they now look completely different. The Holy Spirit's intention for you and me is to overwhelm us with his presence and to clothe us so that in an encounter with him, you and I come out pickles. You and I look completely different from that encounter. Is this making sense? The invitation of Acts 1 is to raise the standard of what we believe we are waiting for. 
You are not waiting for a moment of goosebumps so that you can say, yeah, I'm in the charismatic crowd too. You're waiting for a moment of absolute encounter that transforms you, that changes you from someone who wants to keep your faith private to someone who is a public witness of the kingdom of God. Why? Because you've had a moment with the spirit that has pickled you. The promise of the father, a pickling, a clothing. The intention of the waiting is attached to the promise. And the second part of the promise is that you will be my witnesses. I love that. This isn't a maybe. This isn't I hope. This isn't if you are faithful. This is the reality of the coming of the spirit changes you to become a witness. If you don't know what your purpose on the earth is, is to be pickled so that you can be a witness. Why are you in your college? So that you can be a witness. Why are you in your workplace? So that you can be a witness. Why am I in this church? So that I can be a witness. The answer to every why of where you are is ultimately so that you can be a witness. That's what it says. His intention with you is to be a witness, which means you have to have firsthand experience. You can't put someone on the stand who says, well, I, I didn't see the, uh, the rubber myself, but my friend saw the rubber and my friend told me that the thief looked like, that's not a witness. So many of us are like that about our Christianity. I can't really tell you about my experiences because I have none, but I heard one time this other person say, that's not what it means to be a witness. So many of us are settling for a secondhand Christianity. I want to tell you, you will get beaten if you do that. There's this moment in Acts. I had it somewhere in my notes, but as you can see, I haven't even been looking at any notes, so you're like, yeah, we can tell. Acts 19. There's a moment in Acts 19 where the sons of Sceva, who are a group of men, decide that they're going to cast out demons. And they start saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. And it's a hilarious story because they get their butts kicked and they are totally bruised and dying and beaten coming out of it because the demons say, Jesus, we know, Paul, we know. Who are you? Second hand Christianity doesn't work. Secondhand witnessing will get you into trouble. Some of us are getting beaten at because we're relying on someone else's this and that. Someone else said this. Someone else said that. Someone else claimed this about Jesus. That's good enough for me. He's not inviting you to settle for a secondhand Christianity. He's saying, come and meet with me. You want to meet with him and you want to experience the promise of the Father for yourself that's what equips you in the battle that's when you say to demons flee and they flee not because you're powerful but because you've been so pickled with the spirit of god that they smell him on you and they cannot withstand his presence not yours you try to cast out a demon in your own strength good luck to you and yes, incidentally, I do believe that demons exist and I do believe we are called to cast them out. Just in case you're worried about that, you can talk to me at the end about it. It's incredibly biblical. But you've got to be pickled. You've got to have experienced him so that you can bear witness to him. Don't try to be a secondhand witness. It is honestly the biggest waste of your life. Because you're not doing one or the other. Make a choice what you want to be witness to. 
and then be witness. But don't try to be a secondhand witness, having some kind of religious obligation to be near the church, but not enough desire to actually experience him. It will mean that you do nothing well, but he wants you to experience him. Okay, I'm going to come into land. And while they're standing there looking on, he's lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. A cloud always represents the presence of God in scripture. That's a picture of the presence. Presence took them out of their sight. There's this transition moment of what their experience of the presence of God is going to look like from physically seeing Jesus to physically experiencing his presence through the power of the spirit. This transition's happening right here. And while they're gazing into heaven, behold, two men stood by them, angels. Angels exist, don't worry, it's a good thing. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I love this because I think so often we're kind of caught up in in the moment and forget the purpose. And they're like, hey, this this is not the waiting that was talked about, staring in heaven. The waiting is get together, start praying. That's what they're about to do. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. There's something of them gathering together in prayer that ignites what Holy Spirit wants to do amongst them. The waiting looks like something. I want to encourage us as a community to get comfortable with waiting. For some of you, we're going to go too slowly for some of the things that are on your hearts. I have those things on my heart too. I just want to know that we're empowered by the Spirit in the launching out of all of the things. I want to know that the Holy Spirit encounters our community in a way that what is built in this place will not be built by human hands. If it's built by human hands, human hands have got to sustain it. I don't have the energy for that. I don't know if you do. But if it's built by God, then he's the one sustaining it. It's his work. That's why it says Jesus builds his church. Too many pastors are trying to take on that role. It's exhausting. It's a bad idea. But if Jesus builds his church, then everything is possible because his empowering presence sustains it. Let's stand up together. I hope this has made sense. My external processing through Acts 1. The acts of Jesus begin with promise. Do you know what he's promising you? Do you know what he's inviting you into? Have you had first-hand experience of him? Some of you might be here thinking, I'm a second-hand Christian. I'm trying to be a second-hand witness, and I'm not a very good one at that. That's because second-hand witnesses don't exist. That's not to bring any shame. That's to bring you into an invitation of his promise, which is to encounter him for yourself. Do you Have you experienced the promise of the Father and the person of the Spirit? Not only in bringing power to your life, but in bringing an affirmation of your sonship, of your belonging in his family. Because that's his intention for you and I. Some of you, you've experienced the spirit, but what I said about waiting really hit home to you. 
You've been waiting for promises and you've felt disappointed because you feel like, God, why are you making me do this? I'm just getting more and more tired. And this morning he wants to give you a fresh revelation of his purpose in the waiting. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's holding out on you. It's not because he's forgotten you. It's because he's increasing your strength. It's because he wants to feed you in this season. It's because he wants to give you a space where whatever context you're in, you are well nourished and you are strong. And it might just mean that you, you need to do some business with God around your perspective of waiting. But I want to invite us just to respond in this moment. And we're going to land here. So it's, this isn't going to be longer drawn out, but I'm going to give opportunity for anyone who wants to respond. And team, if you're around, please, please just be present to pray with people. Please have your masks on, team, if you're praying with people, just out of respect for different people's um, sensitivities um Jess do you mind just playing for a second Holy Spirit we acknowledge your presence and we acknowledge your promises and we don't want to settle for less because we're awkward or because we um whatever for any reason we don't want to settle for less and so we invite you to come and meet with us today If you're someone who's been a secondhand witness, this is a really good time to say to God, I, I want to meet with you face to face. I want this to go from a faith that I inherited from someone else to a faith that is all my own. And if that's you, just lift up your hands. No one's watching. Everyone's doing different kinds of business with God. But just invite him to come and speak to you so that you'll be a firsthand witness of his goodness of his presence. For some of you, you've never experienced the Holy Spirit and you've kind of got used to not experiencing Holy Spirit and you think, oh, I'm just one of those people who's not meant to experience Holy Spirit and that's just not true because the promise of the Father is for every child. And so I want to invite you, if that's you, come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to wait on the Lord with you. And you can just come forward at whatever time you want. And for some of you, you have been baptized in the Spirit. You've experienced Him before. But you know that you've grown weary and you've grown a little bit stale in your experience of Him. And I want to invite you to come and experience the presence of the Spirit this morning. There's time and space. There's going to be people around to pray. But I want to encourage you, don't leave today without experiencing the presence of God. He's here. And just one more, but some of you have been trying to work out your calling in your own strength and you're wondering why you're so tired. And he wants to reintroduce you to his empowering presence. He wants to show you how to walk in the good of the promise and not be building in your own strength. So we're just going to give a few minutes, respond however you want to respond. You can stay where you are, but sometimes it's helpful to just come and pray. I'm just going to pray for a few minutes and then we're going to close the meeting. Holy Spirit, I pray for our community that you would meet with us wherever we are in all our different areas of need. Spirit of God,
Won't you come and encounter us? Won't you come and fill us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray a fresh baptism with the Spirit of God, a fresh pickling with the presence of Holy Spirit. We ask you, Holy Spirit of God, to clothe us like you promised to clothe the early disciples, that you would clothe us with your presence, that you would clothe us with your power in the name of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit with your fire. Come Holy Spirit with your power. Come Holy Spirit with your affirmation of our sonship and our belonging in the family, I pray. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.